Thaddeus Searcy is one of my dearest friends. We met years ago and became fast friends. He's a confidant. He's a friend. He's a really, really, really good preacher. And I just adore this brother and his family. Would you give him a warm vineyard welcome as he comes? All right, we're going to test out this mic. Um, how you all doing? How's the vineyard doing today? It's good to be here. It's always good to be here um, for multiple reasons. Uh, one, I'm actually very proud of. Uh, the other, not so proud of. Uh, it's always interesting when Gino calls you. First off, I love this brother. He is a, he's the real deal. That's a fact. He is who he, who he said, he, he is who you think he is, which is not the case with every pastor you know. But he calls me and says, hey, come on Sunday, and the, the undercurrent, of today for most pastors is it's a very depressing day because we just came off the heels of Resurrection Sunday. Resurrection Sunday is the only Sunday where we do attendance for real. That's where we tell everybody, I guess here's our, here's our regular attendance, but there's a slight depression we don't talk about the Sunday after Easter. And when he calls me to come speak, it's snowing outside. So not only am I going to have to sit through the vineyard church having a lower attendance because of snow, then I got to go to freedom and half the people aren't there. So I, it was just going to be a depressing day. All that aside, here's the silver lining. In this church that is exploding on a national level, and when Gino was saying this, th what you all are doing here is unheard of. Blacks, whites, Asians, other Latino people coming together and really having genuine fellowship is very uncommon. My wife is Latino, my mom was white, my dad was black, and our church is predominantly African American. And it's a struggle for people of other races to come around and worship with us. It is a struggle in the church at large. So people are watching you guys. And this thing is taking off. But here's, here's, here's the good news. No matter where you go, I will always be the first guest preacher to stand on this epic stage. Drop the mic. Let's pray and we can go home. Jesus, this thing is epic. This is the reason they invented like chairs on the stage for preachers. This, this, this is amazing. I'm following you guys on Facebook. It's amazing. Just give yourself a round of applause at what God is doing. Keep, keep sowing, keep building this thing because this is good ground. And the world is going to be watching this at some point. So do, do not despise humble beginnings and where you came from. So this is amazing. Well, why don't we all stand together? And it's just my custom. I make you stand during the reading of the Word so that you don't get tired while we're reading it. And we're coming from the book of Luke, chapter 24. If you have your Bibles, feel free to open them or you can look on the screens, I believe. If not, uh, pull out your phone and pretend you have the Bible app on your phone. If you don't have the Bible app, look on with a real Christian. Let's, let's read Luke 24, <laughs> verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, 
about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. This fits with this week because this is post-Good Friday and post-Resurrection Sunday, and they're, they're having this conversation, and they're, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. I don't know about you, but when I think of all the stories in the Bible, the road to Emmaus is one of the moments I wish I could have been a part of. To have not, not the, the great eloquence of Pastor Gino or Pastor Thaddeus, but to have God incarnate walk up and say, hey, what are you guys talking about? Mmm. I get get chills thinking about Jesus. I get chills when I think of John the Baptist on the riverbanks and says, there's one amongst you whose sandals I'm not. Are you telling me God incarnate is, whoo. And he, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still and their faces were down. And one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days. What things, he asked. Surprisingly enough, he's the only one who knows. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they said, no, you stay with us. It's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table, classic Jesus, he takes this bread, he gives thanks, he breaks it, and begins to give it to them. And at that moment, their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. And we remember the cross and the burial, and the resurrection. But Lord, we're reminded, even as we sang songs about your great love today, Lord, this love that passes all understanding, that neither depth nor height nor angels and demons nor death and the grave, nothing can separate us from this great love we found in Christ. So Lord, stir our hearts today that we could be like these disciples on the road to Emmaus and say, Lord, when I left Vineyard Church, didn't my heart burn within me? We bless you today. Speak, Holy Spirit. You know how to speak to this congregation far better than me. So move in our midst, prophetically talk 
to us where each of us are at. We give you our hearts and our minds and our thoughts for these next few minutes. We bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You all can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Please don't be disturbed by my message title. I called it Cleopas and the Fools Who Believe Even Though They Can't Read. Cleopas and the Fool. I had it, Cleopas and the Idiots Who Believe Even Though They Can't Read, but Gino vetoed my original title and said, that's a little risky, and he starts quoting the Greek, and that's not what idiots mean, that's out of context. And I thought I was good because I thought Gino wasn't going to be here, but now i got to stick to my notes. <laughs> but I am entering into the best time of the year for me, and don't judge me when I share these stories, but... Every year near Father's Day, my wife and my four kids, one, two, three, four. See, when you have four kids, no one will hang with you unless they also have four. That's why Gino and Shannon and I are real close friends, because no one invites us over, because nobody wants an instant Chuck E. Cheese at their house. So, but in June, now fellas, look, I don't want to set this as a pattern, but every June, for at least 10 days, sometimes it's been as long as a month, which is too long, but three weeks this year, it's 10 days. My wife goes to Florida to hang out with her parents for 10 days with all of my children. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm so excited right now even talking about it because you will find me on a golf course till like midnight chipping around and doing, I don't even know what to do with my time. But there's one problem with my wife leaving. I, I, I don't own dogs, but my family does. I never wanted a dog. When I'm doing marriage counseling, the first category I try to teach people is if you want to have a happy marriage, you have to die. That's a foundational principle. And dying means you just die. You don't have, you just die. There's no, it's not deep. There's nothing more I can tell you. Just, you want to go, you, she wants Chinese food. You, you, you want to go and eat Mexican. We're going to Chinese because I'm just a dead man. That's how you make it work. <laughs> the, this is free. I'm, this isn't even in my notes. Men take no. All you got to do is die. Quit. Ar you're only arguing about stuff because you're not dead. Anyways, I hate animals. I'm not an animal lover. And, and one day my wife comes home with a dog. And then she came home with another dog. Exactly. And she's terrible. But she's, don't tell this. She, take that out of the tape. But anyways, when she goes away in June... I am then stuck with one problem. I now have two ratty dogs that I have to walk because if I don't walk them, they are going to use the restroom all over my house. Anyways, I start walking the dog now. I'm used to walking them for those, that short moment in June. And when I walk the dog, there is something strange that happened. I realize that I don't take that many walks. And when you're walking a dog, you notice things you never noticed before. Because when you're in your car, you're zooming through the neighborhood, you're zooming past houses, you're zooming past rivers, you're zooming past lights, and, and, and the houses are just passing memories. But when you walk, 
you notice the cracks in the ground. You notice the puddles. You notice the people who have taken some time and done their landscaping well, and you know the people who didn't. <laughs> you start noticing the cars and the houses, and you notice the smell of the trees and the ground, and you notice the different types of, of ground you're walking on and the puddles and the colors that you would never notice if you were driving your car. When was the last time you ever went on a seven-mile walk? See, if Jesus came into the world in 2019, you would have never had the story of the walk to Emmaus because our lives are just too busy. We never walk anywhere. We need things quick. We need things in a moment. But if you had to walk seven miles away with Jesus, you would have had a two-hour conversation with our Lord on the way to Emmaus. And you would have been very observant. You would have taken your time. And what I wanted to start off by saying to this church, if you're taking notes, you have to slow down if you want to talk with Jesus. You have to just stop the busyness, stop the worries, stop all of this stuff that's going on. So I dare you today to just slow down a minute and take a walk with Jesus. Just breathe. You feel that? All right. See, these two disciples were suffering with a tragedy. Their Lord, and we don't wrap our minds around this all the time, but a 33-year-old man just died on a horrible Roman cross who a lot of people had placed their hopes in and their trust in and the miracle worker. And these two individuals that are followers of Christ, Christ had many more followers than just his disciples. And we see this in the text, a Cleopas, and there's another disciples, they're walking to Emmaus, and Jesus comes to walk with them, but God has somehow mystically closed their eyes from recognizing that it's Jesus in their presence. And Jesus walks up in their conversation, man, it was messed up, I can't believe what happened to Jesus. I mean, we're going to keep following him, right? Yeah, I don't know, but Matthew and him, they went back fishing, I don't know, maybe we should go back to doing what we were doing, it just messed up, I didn't think he was going to... I didn't you remember when he was talking about before Abraham was I am didn't you think that he was the one we can place all of our hopes in and Jesus just gets around hey 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 guys where are you going Emmaus oh well I'm heading that way too what are you talking about I love the questions of Jesus because when Jesus asks a question he, he always opens up the person and he, he can discern the real intent of the conversation and the entry point and his questions are always Jesus is always asking people questions is he not good master what must I do to be saved why do you call me good there's no one good but God. Are you saying I'm God? If you're saying I'm God, then why don't you go sell everything and come follow me? See, because really you don't think I'm God. You think money's God. Oh, see, this is Jesus' questions. You, Jesus is always determining the real entry point of the argument. And Jesus says, what are you guys talking about? And their faces were down. And Cleopas says, are, this is hilarious because this is Jesus. Are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know what happened? And I imagine Jesus thinking, actually, I'm the only one in Jerusalem that knows exactly what happened. 
this would, if you don't know what happened, Cleopas is telling Jesus, this would be like sitting in a theater in 1865, not knowing that John Wilkes Booth shot President Lincoln. It would be like living next door to the Moraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee in 1968, not knowing that Martin Luther King was shot from his second-story balcony. Jesus not knowing would be like if you were living in Dallas on November 22nd, 1963, not knowing what happened to JFK on that grassy knoll. See, because any time a person dies who people have placed their hope in, it becomes national news. And the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know what happened to Jesus is himself. He's the only one that knew. Touch somebody and say, he's the only one that knew. And then Jesus goes, huh, what, what things? What things? You, you know, about Jesus of Nazareth in verse 19. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. It was terrible, but we had hoped. We had hoped. In the past, we had a hope that he was the one who was going to redeem all of Israel. And, and, and it's been three days since all of this had taken place in verse 20 and 21. What's oftentimes missed in this text is how unashamed these disciples are. And, and they have this unashamed faith. That's why I called it the fools who believe. The fools who believe. They're willing to tell a complete stranger that they believed in a crucified criminal that ended in such a terrible way. They realize that Jesus is dead now, but they're still placing their trust in Jesus. Even though they believe him to be dead, they're still quoting, we had hope that he was going to redeem all of Israel. We had hope that he would be the Messiah. We used to think these things. We thought he was our redeemer. And church, we are no different from the earliest disciples because there will come moments and times in our life that will force us to want to give up hope on Jesus. Anybody ever had a moment where you said, this, I don't know, God, where are you? I don't know if I can make, oh, I'm the, oh, I'm the only one. Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't know who I was talking to. Nobody here has ever been through something that made you say, God, where are you? Can I just get a show of hands from some honest people that have walked through some things in this life? But see, a disciple is a person who is stubborn and still refuses to give up faith even when the outlook seems hopeless. See, when you have a real God-given faith, it takes more than a tragedy to stump it out. And even in those tragic moments, we cry out to God because that's the nature of prayer. I'm, I'm preaching later on, on Isaiah, Isaiah 11, how all of Israel was a stump, but God says, oh, oh, there's a shoot coming out of that stump. Because God tends to take hopeless situations and build something massive out of it. That stump, you know, the root of Jesse is also the shoot of Jesse. There's someone coming through the loins of Jesse. Oh, that's later on. Never mind. <laughs> See, you cannot quote Psalm 23 without being in the valley of the shadow of death. Yea, though I walk through it, I will fear no evil. For God, you... Hmm. Disciples are the type of people that hang on to Jesus in spite of how circumstances look. 
in spite of what's going on. And these, these individuals continue with Jesus. They say, it's amazing. The women came to us and they went to the tomb early in the morning. They didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen this vision of angels. They said he was alive. And some of our companions went to the tomb and they found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. Now, they're just relaying what has happened, but in their culture, and I know this has probably been taught on before, but just for the sake of our new people or people that are new to church, in that culture, the testimony of women was invalid. You wouldn't trust that. You couldn't go to court and sue somebody off of the testimony of a woman. Their testimony was invalid. They could not be legal witnesses in court. But the Lord, our God, decided to give women the most powerful message that has ever been given. I want you to go and tell everyone he is risen. So Justin, think the Bible is very powerful in elevating the role of women especially in that culture. But these disciples are still there, and they're like, the, the women told us this. I don't know. It's just, I, I, and they tried to authenticate it. It was, it's true. But they went over there, and the disciples went after the women, told them, and they saw some stuff. But Jesus, his body wasn't there. So they try to authenticate this story. They're skeptics. They're not sure. The passage tells us something interesting. If they're going to believe in Jesus, they are going to need some very serious convincing. A testimony from, a testimony from some women? I don't know. An empty tomb? That's not enough. They're skeptics. See, th- we sometimes tend to think these people are not like us. That they're just like, oh, he died and he rose again. Hallelujah. Let's just all die. Let's all die too. That's not, don't, they're skeptics. They're not going to believe. They want concrete evidence that Jesus is in a different place. But here's the thing. If you get evidence that somebody died and came back to life, if you had concrete evidence of that, that changes everything, does it not? That's something you might be willing to die for. See, if he is risen, then... I'm, I'm 40 now, you know, I'm, I'm, my body is heading in a certain direction, and it's not positive. <laughs> oh, okay, y'all going to leave me out there. It's not, I th- this is all going somewhere. I feel it in my joints. I say, oh, I got to get up early to get to Vineyard because we're late in the day. I said, 10.30, how, this is early on a Sunday. I'm just kidding. I know it's, it's not early. But I'm heading somewhere But if you're saying somebody died on a Roman cross, which no one can survive, and we know he died, and he came back, then death is no longer just this thing I have to fear in my heart. Death isn't even real. Death will have lost its sting. The grave will have lost its victory. I can lay on my deathbed in complete peace and comfort knowing there is something beyond the grave. And while they're processing all of this, Jesus just shows up in their despair, in their conversation. Hey, guys, let's chop it up. They didn't know he was there. And just like us, there are times in our lives when Christ is so near, but we can't see him. We can't sense him. We feel like we're on our own. We feel like we're on the island. We think he's there for other people, but in our life, I can't see him or sense him. But I always think it's funny and interesting that whenever we are going through something, despair, the the pains of life, the valleys of life, those are the moments when Jesus likes to lean in. What, What you guys talking about? 
Well, mom and them, that mom went on to be with the Lord, and I don't know how many. What are you talking about? Well, my son, this happened and that happened. Well, what do you, t- Jesus always tends to show up, but like them, we don't see him. If you only knew how close he is and how he really is listening to the tragedies, the type of God that takes the time to show, these aren't even the main, these aren't even the main 12. They're just a couple randoms, and Jesus is like, hey, guys, can I walk with you for a couple hours? Do you understand how close he is in the moments of our trials? I'll never forget, and I talk about it all the time, even though my parents passed away 12 years ago, uh, and they died on the same day of different events. And I've shared this, I think, before here. My mom died of cancer. My father, uh, his heart gave out on him later that night. And I was orphaned at the age of 27, and I just didn't know what to do. At this point in my life, the only emotion I feel is gratitude. But then it was pain. But, it, but I, I'll never forget going to their house the day after they died. And I'm, I'm not nostalgic. I didn't want much. I wanted my mom's Bible. And usually when I tell the story, I say that's all I wanted was my mom's Bible because it sounds real spiritual. But she also had a Vitamix that was like a $1,000 blender, so I also wanted the Vitamix. <laughs> but I don't always tell that part of the story because I like being more spiritual. That's all I wanted. But I went into the kitchen, and my mom had this bread box where she had like these little tabs. Y'all remember them old bread, daily bread boxes, and you pull out a verse for the day, verse for the day? And I just walk over, and I just reach in, and I grab one of the verses, and it said, the Lord is near to those of a broken heart. And all I'm saying is that he's always so near, especially in our moments of despair, when we lose hope, when we've lost our leader, when we're in a place of despair, then this one they call the comforter begins to enter in and comfort us. And he says to them in their despair and in their, their, their hurt and in this moment of pain, he says, y'all are some fools. You're fool. You're foolish. How fool? That's what, this is Paul. You know, we want to throw out Galatians because of how gangster Paul gets. You foolish be, Galatians who has bewitched you. I wish they would let the knife slip. When you're throwing, Jesus is like, y'all some fools. I'm sure Cleopas and them looking, what? What? what man, walk. And then he goes, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things? Then enter into this glory you speak of and the greatest Bible study on earth ever happened, Jesus says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, for the next two hours, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I wish I could have been in that Bible study. Woo! That's the only Bible study you would... You could never come to the vineyard again. (laughs) And far worse, you can't go to freedom. Oh, no. It was like, this is terrible teaching. My heart's not burning. Not burning, Gino. Not burning today. Jesus says, don't you, don't you fools read your Bible? 
this Messiah we speak of had to go through this? See, it wasn't just resurrection. They couldn't wrap their minds around this Messiah, the hope of all Israel. Israel himself, they couldn't wrap their minds around a Messiah who had to suffer. How do you wrap your mind? He's, ah! See, when a first century Jewish person thought of the Messiah, they never thought of suffering. They thought of victory. They thought of Isaiah chapter 9, for unto us a child is born and unto a, woo, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called, come on church, wonderful, counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, ever, woo, and of the greatness, listen Israel, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He gonna sit on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing, upholding with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And they would just start shouting, I can't wait till the Messiah comes. They understand his victory, but they don't understand his suffering. He says he must, he had to, you don't understand, he must suffer these things. And I imagine as Jesus is walking with them, he said, Cleopas, have you read Genesis chapter 3 where it says the seed will crush the serpent's head and the serpent will crush his heel? Have you ever thought about that, what that means, Cleopas? And I imagine he went to Deuteronomy and said, there will be a prophet like Moses who was despised and rejected by his people. Cleopas, have you read Exodus or Numbers recently? Have you seen the rejection and suffering that happened to Moses? Or he might have said, Cleopas, you stayed in Isaiah 9, but have you read Isaiah 49? The servant of the Lord who would redeem Israel. I have labored for nothing in vanity. He's discouraged over his mission to redeem Israel. Or Cleopas, have you turned a page to Isaiah 50, I gave back to the smiters and my cheek to those who pulled out my beard and spit upon my face. Does that ring a bell, Cleopas? Or Isaiah 53 that said he would be wounded by our transgressions and pierced for our iniquities and by his stripes, Cleopas, we would be healed. Have you read verse 8 where he was stricken for the transgressions of all of us? Cleopas, have you read Zechariah 9? Zion, look, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, humble, riding on a donkey because humility is translated as afflicted and poor. Cleopas, does that sound like the description of a king, Cleopas? Have you read Zechariah chapter 12 where they will look to me whom they have pierced through? Do you remember Cleopas when you saw his side? And the knife went in and the blood and water flow. Do you remember that? Did you read that? Why do you think, Cleopas, that Zacharias would have said, look to whom they have pierced? Cleopas, have you ever wrapped your mind around how they would pierce God? He might have said Ezekiel was a weird guy before I ever met him. That was a joke, but only for me and Gino. No one reads Ezekiel anymore. He might have said Daniel was so scared when they threw him in the lion's den. He might have said it was fun standing next to Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. It was quite hot in there that day. He might have said that jokester Joshua, do you know that jokester pulled a sword on me in battle? And you're going to laugh on this one, Samuel. He thought it was Eli calling him. 
And I'll never forget when Abraham picked up the knife to slay his son Isaac, and I stopped him. And I provided a ram in the bush. You don't understand. I might just be the ram. The Messiah might have just been the ram to save all of y'all. But you have to understand, don't be foolish. The Messiah had to suffer if you only knew the Scriptures. And I wanted, I wanted to close with jumping into the meat of this. It's more important in this moment that the disciples of Jesus hear him rather than see him. Jesus at any point could have been like Cleopas. I don't even, I don't even know how this messianic hiding thing. He could have been like, Cleopas. <laughs> right? He could have stopped the nonsense at any moment. Like, boom, here it's me, Jesus. That's just all. Doesn't that make you dream about our glorified bodies? Like, are we going to be walking through walls? I I mean, I think about these things. Like, it's going to be epic. He could have said, it's me, Jesus. All is well. Bless you. God's favor upon you. Go out and go out and continue. Do not sin anymore. Go out and make disciples. But no, he would rather sit for two hours in hiding and explain to them who he is from Scripture. Because God is more concerned with you getting knowledge about who he is rather than just giving you an experience of him. He could have relieved their distress at any moment. See, I'm saying this because if you really want to know Jesus... All you have to do is open the book. Open the book. Touch someone and say, open the book. (laughs) Disciples don't need an experience. Disciples need a book. Whoa, well, what if someone came back from the dead? Oh, 30 minutes in heaven. And Luke, what does he say? They already have, please, Lazarus, send, send someone back for my brothers, the rich man and Lazarus. Send someone back for my brothers. And they have Moses and the prophets. If they don't believe them, they're not going to believe if someone from the dead comes back. Because you will always second guess your experiences. Did that word that came from Gino that day when he prayed for me, was that from the Lord? And then you start. You could see an angel and you'll still, years later, be like, I'm not all the way sure. Was I, I might have been having it. (laughs) We are the type of people that love experiences. Oh, I felt it today. (laughs) Rather than the people that say, This word is a word from another realm that has been given to us. And no matter what, whenever, even when George got up here and started reading Romans 10, I don't care what's happening in my life. If somebody starts reading his words, I pipe up and listen. To honor it, open the book. See, Jesus doesn't start at the point of eliminating your sorrow. He starts by explaining who he is. And if you can wrap your mind around who he is, you you will then have peace. See, as they approached the village, Jesus continued on like, guys, I'm going to keep on heading on. And their hearts are burning. And they said, no, no, stay with us. Come to our house. Eat with us. And he goes to the table. He takes the bread. He breaks the loaves. He hands them out. And when he does this, their eyes are opened and they recognize him and he disappears from their sight. This is classic Jesus, is it not? I, I, I love a guy who his, you know, you guys have the new vineyard logo. Like if Jesus had a logo, it would be potluck dinner. 
And no matter what you do for the rest of the life, read 1 Corinthians 11. I want y'all to get together, have some wine, have some bread, and talk about me. Thank you. No, you would have thought he would have said, get to pray and, and do this. He goes, no, ha have a dinner. You know why? Because you really invite, you know what? You don't let everybody come to your house. Oh, see, so you got real quiet in the back. <laughs> Gino can't just show up. Oh, Gino, what are you doing here? Oh, God, I mean, honey, clean up, clean up. Put the... <laughs> Is there wine? Is there wine on the table? Honey, honey, move it quick. <laughs> don't pop up, Gino. You're going to ruin it, okay? Well, we can't go back to that church now. <laughs> the most intimate you become is when you invite someone to your house and you have a meal with them and you break bread and you say, this is my junk I live in. Thank you for coming over. That's why I love your, the culture here and the small groups and the things you guys are doing. My grandfather, he was a Methodist pastor on my white side. I always have to clarify, I don't know why I do that, I just do that. <laughs> because if you think a white pastor and a black pastor, there's two times, anyway. But every time around the dinner table, we would pray. And he passed away, I don't know, that might have been 10 years ago, he was 90-something. But whenever you ask my grandfather to pray, he would pray the same prayer. And he had this old booming voice, and he would say, Our Father, we thank thee for this food. Amen. I was like, we always got to have Grandpa pray. <laughs> right? Nobody likes that. And now, Lord, we're going to pray for our children's children. Lord, that you would do the work. Now, man, come on, man. We have McDonald's. <laughs> Nobody likes that. Cut that out. Stop it. This is a Christian promo. Just stop that. Uh, uh, you know, the more you know type of thing. And after I became a pastor, I was at my grandparents' house and all the cousins were there. And he looks over and he says, you know what? I think it's time for Thaddeus to pray. <laughs> and I got up and I said, our father, we thank thee for this food. Amen. <laughs> but I remember the moment when it was like a transfer and I became the host. And Jesus, when he comes into the house, there's a transfer, and they wanted him to stay. Come, come to our house. And he walks in, and he becomes the host. And he breaks the bread. And he pours the wine. And as he's doing it, they're like, it's you. This familiar thing. And Jesus gets down, and he is seen in this not in the miracles, not in, it's not even, he's just there in the common world of eating bread and drinking wine the way he always was. He's so near to us, and it's in the living of our lives and the breaking of bread with one another where we see him clearly. We are a Eucharistic people, a, a, a Lord's Supper people. When we break bread together, sometimes see, people find Christ when they're just having a meal with you and you share your stories. I want to close with this story. Um, this was almost, it was over three years at this point. Some of you all might remember Officer uh, Tim Jones, who uh, was shot in Park Forest. And just a tragic story. I was there the day he was shot. The, his, his 
grandmother and parents were going to Freedom Church, and I ended up, the grandmother calls me and says, meet us at Christ Hospital. And we go, and this was a tragic situation. He was shot through, through the head, and then another bullet was lodged in his neck, and another bullet was in his side. And I walk into a hopeless situation, and we start to pray. And Joey was there, and she asked Joey to sing, and, and all these different things were happening. But what, later that week, as their son was fighting with his life, he had, had not gained consciousness at this point. Um, the father, who's uh, Chief Jones over, he runs the uh, Country Club Hills Police Department. The father's there, and he goes, he's talking with me about this whole situation. I was going back and forth to the hospital. And the father says, I talked to tell him the story of a lady at our church who makes prayer shawls, and she ended up at the, she's 60 now, but when she was around the age of 25, they told her that she had stage four brain cancer and that she only had a couple weeks to live. At which time she goes into a coma and she has these visions of God and this idea of like, there was something on the other side calling her, but she knew she had more to do on this side. And she sees this sort of light in the sky when all, this, all of this happened and saw it as a sign from God. I then, as I'm talking to Chief Jones, he tells me I was looking up in the sky and I felt like God gave me a sign that my, my son was going to be okay. And it was this thing in the sky. So when he tells me this, I start telling him this story of Joanne from our church. And, I, and he's like, ah, Pastor, I need to speak to her now. So I then call her, voicemail, call her again, call her again, call her again. I never got a hold of her. I get home and I just figure I'm going to try and get a hold of her tomorrow and see if I can get a hold of her. She calls me in the morning and I said, listen, such and such happened with Officer Jones and I told her the story and then she, she just says, Pastor, the Lord told me to go over there last night. She went without me telling her to encourage this brother in the lowest point of his life. And I just began, you know, I'm not a real flighty guy, but I just began to weep at how God is in the details of this tragic situation. And two Sundays ago, Tim Jones came to Freedom Church. He's recovering, he's in a process. But you're, I don't know, the doctors are like, this is a one in a hundred million chance that this kid could even live. And here he is at Freedom Church. I, I'm just blown away by how near God is. And if you can hear the story of Tim Jones, you can hear these things. And if you can hear the story of a God who came into eternity, it came out of eternity into this, this time that he created to die for the sins of humanity. And if you can hear this God and he were speaking to you, he would run and reconcile you back to himself right now. And if you could just hear him talk, he'd say, your sins are forgiven. If you can hear him right now, he would say, trust in me and you don't have to worry about this death thing. He provides life eternal. All you have to do is just slow down, take a moment, and listen. Open the book and listen. And if you can listen, you will find out how close he really is. He is nearer to you now than you think. God bless you, Vineyard.